Woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil sends the beast with wrath because he knows the time is short. Let him who hath understanding reckon the number of the beast, for it is a human number. Its number is 666. I left alone My mind was blank I needed time to think To get the memories from my mind What did I see? Can I believe That what I saw that night Was real and not just fantasy Just what I saw Listening to Metal Matters, the official weekly Gimme Metal podcast. Greetings, everyone. It's time for another episode of the Metal Matters podcast. And uh, before we get going, I just wanted to thank everyone who's been supporting the show from the beginning. Uh, this is Randy and I's final episode as co-hosts for the Metal Matters podcast. And uh, yeah, it's been it's been awesome, man, doing this thing and uh, working with uh, Gimme Metal. Everyone's been you know super supportive of the show, and uh, you know I really appreciate having the opportunity to have worked on this for the last couple of years. And um, but next week, uh, Fred Passaro and Mike uh, Burdan are taking over, and uh, everyone should check it out. You know, like Fred has, uh, I've known Fred for a really long time. And over the years, he's helped me out quite a bit um, in several ways. He's actually helped me pay my rent by giving me freelance writing gigs uh, for Noisy. Fred used to be the editor of Noisy. He was also the editor of uh, Brooklyn Vegan. Uh, You've probably read uh, something he's written if you read Revolver Magazine or numerous publications that he's worked on and back in the early days of tombs fred was a uh, very active in putting on shows around brooklyn and um he was one of the first people in the area to to really give a shit about my band so i was you know like i've always you know very indebted to him when it comes to that helping us out putting us on cool you know builds giving us press in brooklyn vegan and um, I just couldn't think of a better guy to take over uh, the show after leaving. And um, he's just going to give a whole different flavor to the show, which is going to be awesome. I mean, he's interviewed tons of people. And I think that um, he's just going to he's going to bring his own touch to this thing. And it's going to you know turn it into a whole different different thing. So I'm really excited. I'm going to you know, I'm going to be supporting him from time to time. <clears throat> I will be on the show you know, as a guest, so uh, so you haven't seen the last of me. So, Randy, you got any words to say before we get started? 
Uh, yeah, man. I, you know, obviously, I'd like to thank you for the opportunity to do this, man. You know, we go back a long way, and we're doing something similar to this, or had started to, uh, on a different format. And then you invited me to be part of uh, the Metal Matters, uh, Gimme Metal family, and it was, it's been awesome. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, I've met a lot of cool people, uh, most most of them virtually, you know, due to the uh, <laughs> pandemic. Um, but a lot of people have reached out and told me how much they, they dig the show. And I became, uh, you know, correspond with some of these people on a regular basis and traded music with them. And, uh, it's been a great experience, man. Like, uh, you know, know, once again, man, thanks. Thanks for having me. And, uh, thanks to give me radio for letting me do this with you. And, uh, it's been a lot of fun. And for those of you out there, uh, who aren't aware, I actually do another show called everything went black and, uh, Randy and I are going to, going to be you know, doing stuff with that. And I also do a horror podcast called Necromaniacs. So uh, I'm not going away from the podcasting world. Uh, so you can still find us there. And, um, you know, hope to hope to see you guys like on that realm. Uh, so that brings us to today's episode. And, um, you know, we planned this in advance when we knew that, uh, you know, this was going to be coming to a close our involvement in this show. And since Randy and I started the show by doing Iron Maiden's Killers record, we thought that it would be fitting to close out our involvement with the show by doing Iron Maiden Number of the Beast. So, uh, you know, you see there's like some synchronicity there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On a, on a more personal note, um, and this is a little bit of humor, <clears throat> when I was a kid, I had bought Killers which I think I talked about when uh, we did Killers on the show. And I was really stoked about Paul Diano. I love his voice. Uh, and then when I bought um, Number of the Beast, I was like, this doesn't sound like the same guy. So that's another reason why <laughs> we decided to do this. <clears throat> Instead of like just disappearing from, uh, you know, from the world and like, you guys tune in next week and there's someone else doing the show. You know, there's like a little bit of an Iron Maiden Killers number of the beast thing going on in the microcosm of uh, Metal Matters. So, you know, it's kind of like a little funny aside, you know, personal touch, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, you came to Maiden earlier than me, for sure. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't hear. The first thing I heard was Run to the Hills. Um, that was on... Uh, FM radio, man, when I was getting ready for school, I was probably 82, 83, probably 83, maybe. Um, yeah, they played Run to the Hills on WAAF out of Boston. You remember that station, right? Yeah, I think it's still um, alive and kicking, too, man, I think. Yeah, it's probably complete fucking dog shit, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> like most FM radio stations are these days. Uh, yeah, man, I don't remember, you know, it just came on and I was immediately taken back by it because it just sounded so different uh, alongside like Aerosmith and all that kind of stuff. You could tell like there was something else going on there. So, I, I, you know, I, I grew up in a real uh, small uh, podunk town with you know no real record store. All I had was like a department store. So I would go in there and search. I tried to search for Iron Maiden. The only thing I could find was... Uh, uh, you know, the help at the store. <laughs> they, they didn't know what Iron Maiden was, but they were like, well, we got these KTEL Records uh, compilations, Masters of Metal, oh, that cool. just came in. 
And sure enough, there was, it was on there. Iron Maiden run to the hill. So I bought that and it was, uh, you know, side two sandwiched between rainbow street of dreams. Not, not the best rainbow track, uh, and rush Tom Sawyer. So that was my uh, first, first maiden purchase was the KTEL masters of metal compilation. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, yeah, you know, I, I think I've talked about this shop back in uh, my hometown of Carmel, New York. Uh, there was a, a shop called the Book and Record Store. That was literally the name of the store. And that, if you know me at all, you can trace everything I'm interested in back to this store because they had this huge like fantasy horror books co- book collection. Um, and then they had their records collection, record section, and it was like. You know, I would read about shit in, in like Hit Parader or Cream Magazine and like they would have it there. You know, not a lot, not the entire catalog of the band, but you would find like No Remorse by, um, you know, by, by Motorhead. Uh, you, right. There would be like a couple of UFO records, um, you know, and of course there was the Iron Maiden Killers cassette, which I bought because I had just read about them. And, you know, Cream Magazine you got to remember back in the eighties, you didn't have access to things like you do now. And this is like a a running theme in our show here and cream, you know, they, they were like, you know, they were kind of like a hipster magazine. They were like really into like, you know, they thought like bands like television and, you know, the velvet underground were like cool and they shit on metal all the time. So they gave Iron Maiden killers a negative review, but the things they didn't like about it were things that I thought were awesome. So I'm like, let me go check this out. So I, I bought Killers on cassette a couple years later. I see that there's a brand new Iron Maiden record out, and it's Number of the Beast So I, on vinyl. So I got the vinyl, put it on, and I'm like, this is a different guy. Like, this doesn't sound like the guy from Killers. And, you know, back then, I, I mean, I, I barely really, like, I just figured the band was the band. I didn't really know all the the dramatics of what goes on behind the scenes with things. And I was like, Oh, why'd they get rid of this other guy? You know, like, I don't know. Right. So, yeah. So that was like kind of the environment of, of kind of like these two records. And I got to be honest, I, um, it wasn't until the record had to grow on me, to be honest. You know what I mean? I wasn't immediately taken by this record, but Oh, as the years went, went on, I, I fucking love it now. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 me too. Um, yeah, I kind of have, you know, it's kind of a, the reverse story, you know? I When I went back and heard Killers and the self-titled record, I was like, wait a minute, this doesn't sound like the same guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, this guy sounds like he'd be singing in, like, GBH or Exploited. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, a more punk band, which I, you know, I was, a few years after that, I would get heavy into that kind of stuff. Um by the time I discovered those first two Maiden records, I, were, I had already discovered punk, you know? There's, uh, just the way information changed hands back then. It's not like now, you know? Like you said, reading Korean Magazine or Rip Magazine or just going to look at record covers. You couldn't go on the internet. You couldn't go anywhere and start finding the shit out. Like, information moved a lot slower. So, um, yeah, so this is, you know, the first album with, uh, with Bruce Dickinson and uh, also the last album with the drummer, Clive Burr. Yeah, yeah. This is their third album, all, all you know, overall. And uh, the, right. re- the release date was uh, March 22nd, 1982, by EMI in the UK, which also uh, 
you know, they're involved. They were involved with the Sex Pistols too. And um, yep. in the U.S., Harvest and Capitol Records put this out. The runtime is 39 minutes and 11 seconds. And uh, rather than go into all the different, um, you know, accolades and you know, sta- you know, like standards that they hit, we'll just say that the record is certified platinum at this point in 2021. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, to not this this isn't a necessary criteria for becoming a classic record, but a lot of the records that we cover by these higher profile bands are the records that really put them on the map and. This record is obviously what defined Iron Maiden as a force in heavy metal music, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, man. Like, the first two records, I think me and you are a little more partial to those. I know a lot of people who are, but uh, as far as, like, a, gaining a bigger audience and a, and a pretty big commercial success, this was the gateway record for that. You know, they, once this came out the touring that followed they just became the machine that you know they still are today (laughs) uh kind of just a crazy phenomenon in a lot of ways like they never really got much airplay like you know my i did hear run to the hills on fm radio that was my kind of introduction to the band but other than run to the hills man you, you don't hear maiden on fm radio you know which is insane they can play to two hundred thousand people and they don't really get airplay that, that's like what really made me respect the band because they never really, I mean, you know, they experimented, they expanded, they had different, you know, obviously they had a different singer at one point, but the, uh, yeah. you know, the, the whole, as a whole, the band never really deviated, you know, from what they did. Um, you know, there was definitely explorations in, in songwriting and the approach in certain records is different. And they still maintained this high level of commercial success too. Like they didn't have to wear eyeliner or like, you know, you know, you know what I'm saying. Not naming any names, but you know, you, at, some, at some point in the '90s, you see a picture of James Hetfield with short hair and eyeliner, and I'm like, wow. But they never had to do that, Iron Maiden. You know what I mean? They always just kind of like wrote songs, and um, right. You know, they just did their thing, and that's that's like one of the things I respect the most about them as a band. Yeah. And I, I never got to see them. I mean, the first time I seen them was 2008 or something like that, you know, so I never got to see them like in the earlier days. Um, but they're still amazing live, you know, since then I've seen them four, four, yeah, four or five times, four times, I think. Um, you know, obviously we got to, uh, see them when we went over and played Hellfest together a few years ago. Um, and that was cool. I mean, yeah. I remember walking like from the backstage area, like where we had uh, the dressing rooms and all that shit, and we're walking across like with a shuttle in the vans. And I remember walking like the got got crossing guard type security guard stopped me. He's like, "Stop, stop, stop!" And a couple vans came through, and I was like standing right there. And Adrian Smith's like face was like <laughs> pressed against the window of the van. I'm like, "Holy shit!" Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they were they were bringing them backstage or whatever probably getting ready to go on but uh yeah that's still amazing live man you know they play for like two hours like full of energy you gotta give it to dickinson i know me and you are more paul diano guys but you, know, you gotta give it to dickinson man but his voice the energy on stage he's just a force you know he, he brought the band up to another level for sure well that's that's kind of a 
you know, even though I, I prefer, you know, Deano, like his flavor, but I think that Dickinson, you, you got to disrespect that guy too. I mean, he's like, you know, he takes it seriously. He's like the Rollins of, of like heavy metal. You know what I mean? Like the guy's in incredible shape. He's like running all over the stage. He takes his job very seriously. He's a incredibly accomplished um, vocalist with like a range that is on, you know, you can't fuck with his range. And no, you know, Martin, Martin, well, actually let's go to some of the production things, but, um, uh, the personnel on this record was uh, Bruce Dickinson, obviously on vocals, Dave Murray, guitars, Adrian Smith, guitars, backing vocals, the one and only Steve Harris, bass and backing vocals. Yes. And, hey, at the end of the day, it's Steve Harris's band. And uh, totally. Clive Burr, final appearance with the band on drums. Uh, Martin Birch was the uh, producer and engineer. And uh, Derek Riggs did the uh, incredible uh, album cover. Now uh, there's a documentary out there on Prime. A cla- well, they stole our title, Classic Records, <laughs> Iron Maiden, uh, Number of the Beast, and yes. Martin, Martin Birch actually speaks to this uh, issue with, um, you know, the things that uh, that Steve Harris was trying to accomplish musically. Uh, Paul just wouldn't have been able to to pull that off. You know what I mean? And, and getting a guy like Bruce Dickinson in the band was like necessary for the you know the the, ev- the evolution and advancement of iron maiden yeah for sure man i i actually watched that same thing this week uh you know prepping for this episode and there was some pretty good uh there were some gems in there i really like those uh the classic album things uh, i wish they were a little more long, a little longer a little more in depth sometimes but uh i love how they have like the guys now or you know whatever that was filmed five years ago six years ago whatever it was sitting there playing like riffs from the songs and they actually had martin burst before he died he died recently unfortunately um sitting behind the board you know like pulling down the vocals or or pulling down one of the guitars it's like so it's a pretty cool like in-depth look at that and uh you know birch also goes into like you know basically torturing Bruce Dickinson, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, making him do like four hours worth of takes on the first four lines um, of "Number of the Beast" of the title track. You know, to the point where like Dickinson was like throwing furniture around the studio and like, um, but hey, man, that's why Martin Birch is Martin Birch. You know, that's why you know he produced Sabbath and Deep Purple and you know the list goes on and on. The guy's a master of his craft, but that that's a definitely a good watch. You know, if, uh, if you haven't seen it already, anyone out there. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, the, the, what I, what I, one of the things I pulled away from that too is, um, I like how they talk to, uh, the, some journalists about the, the moniker of new wave of British heavy metal and how oh, yeah. everyone, you know, everyone just kind of dismissed it as like uh, sounds magazine coming up, making up this name and assigning it to a variety of British bands, you know, from Motorhead to Angel Witch, Diamond Head, Iron Maiden, Samson, like all these bands. And, right. uh, you know, even Bruce Dickinson even mentioned, he kind of like made fun of it a little bit, you know, like, you know, Niwab or whatever the hell he called it. I thought that was... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But uh, from what I... My understanding is that, um, you know, kind of like the 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 top bands at the time were Maiden, Samson, and Angel Witch. And they were like, 
you know, you, you couldn't go wrong if you if there was a bill with those bands on it. And, um, you know, Bruce Dickinson was, before he joined Iron Maiden, was the vocalist in the band Samson, which was, uh, right. you know, headed up by Paul Samson. And uh, they were known for uh, having their drummer uh, who wore, uh, you know, a leather mask and played drums in a cage. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yeah. <laughs> well, wasn't there a... Uh... Sounds Magazine, you know, is credited with creating the new wave of British heavy metal term. Wasn't there also a tour with those three bands, Maiden, Angel Witch, and Samson, yeah. called the New Wave of British Heavy Metal Tour, right? Right, which was, you know, obviously capitalizing on the, the press, you know, kind of coming up with that name. Oh, hey, let's, uh, this is like a cool angle we can use to promote this tour, you know? Right. What's what's also funny about Bruce Dickinson pre Maiden is like his uh, his image changed a little bit when he joined Iron Maiden, you know, like oh yeah, oh yeah, like his <laughs> I got some good clothes, yeah, like Ma- Maiden, you know, yeah, they were like a jeans and t shirt, like leather jacket kind of band, you know, like, and then Br- Bruce Dickinson and Samson, there's like that video biceps biceps of steel, uh, and. He, <laughs> It looks like Bruce. It looks like Bruce is wearing like a white jujitsu gi or something like that, with like boots on and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, that definitely did not work for Iron Maiden, I imagine. I, I was uh, somewhere. I don't know where I read it or, or heard it this week. I've, I've been researching this stuff quite a bit this week, but uh, there was a, a, a scenario, I guess, where Steve Harris and uh, the manager um, for Maiden pulled. Uh, Dickinson aside, you know, about the opportunity uh, to join the band or whatever. And they're, <laughs> and they didn't like the, the white clothes, quote unquote, white clothes, which is, I think what you're referring to. In <laughs> uh, the name, he, I guess, I, I don't know if he did it the full time in Samson, but he went under the, under the name Bruce Bruce. Yeah. He's credited. <laughs> he's credited on the records as Bruce Bruce. I mean, I guess that didn't sit too well with them either. So, like, listen, man, here's the deal. Like, you need to go back to using your real name, Bruce Dickinson, and get rid of the, get rid of the white clothes, buy a leather jacket because you look like a roadie. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so they kind of they kind of you know cut that out like right away. You know what I mean? Like, all right, you got to knock knock it off with like wearing the white shit and go get a leather jacket. And, you know, let's go. Yeah, so <laughs> they they snuff that out pretty quick, I think. <laughs> I, I I find well, it interesting, like that kind of triumvirate between like Samson, Iron Maiden, and Trust, the French band Trust. Yeah, I'm not that familiar with them, but I know the name for sure. Yeah, well, Trust was uh, you know, they were kind of doing like new wave of British heavy metal in France, you know, basically, and they were like uh, like that's a similar style. You know, hard rock, heavy metal. Uh, they had like a political vibe to their lyrics. They sang in French. And um, Nico McBrain, who actually would go on to replace Clive Burr, form, was, was the drummer of Trust. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, gotcha. I don't know, just like the, the way the members like kind of were in all these bands together, sort of. Because like, like, you know... Uh, Clive Burr, um, actually, before we go on with him, we have to say that he passed away in uh, 2013. And right. that documentary that we were referring to captures him 
in you know he's in actually in the documentary as well as Martin yep. Birch. So it's kind of like a you know like a cool document. You know these like iconic heavy metal stars, you know heavy metal musicians, like players in the scene. You know while they were uh, you know on this uh, mortal coil with us. So it's kind of a cool like thing to check but check out. You know just on even on that level. You know. You know, there's another, uh, it's actually a three-part documentary series that uh, Maiden put out, and it kind of tied in, like, the Maiden England tour and uh, Live After Death tour, like, DVDs. But there, there's a three-part documentary that accompanies these three things, and the first one's called The Early Years, you know, and it covers pretty much up until uh, after this record, after Number of the Beast. But because you were talking about Clive Burr, he's in that as well, which is really cool. They interview him. But, like, when they come to the, part where he leaves the band and Nico replaces him, it's really glossed over. It's like they kind of allude to something like he was having trouble touring. They don't really go down the drugs or alcohol road. And he's like, yeah, I didn't, I was just asked to leave. And it's like, they, it literally, it's like 20 seconds. They cover it and then they just move on. So I was curious, like, did you come across anything yeah, on why he was asked to leave the band? Yeah, there was, um, you know, of course, like the, uh, the you know, that that's the go to reason to dismiss somebody. It's like they're partying too much. And Exhaustion. I, I, think, I think that was the, um, you know, what they went to the, the greater world with is that, oh, we asked him to leave because he was, um, you know, going too hard with partying. But right. in uh, Dickinson's uh, 2017 autobiography, he, uh, he said that there was personal friction between him and Steve Harris. You know, and that's uh, totally understandable too, man. I mean, you know, like, you know, you go on the road and, and they were on the road like hard during that era. Like, you know, they, I mean, Maiden's always been a hard touring band, like always, you know, playing everywhere. Always. But yep. maybe with the success of uh, Number of the Beast, this probably was their first foray into that type of road work, you know, playing 200 and something shows a year and, flying all over the globe and you know people's uh personalities sometimes when you got to spend all that time together they might not work out like you might have developed these issues with people and and i think that's that's what made that's what uh bruce dickinson uh indicated in his autobiography autobiography and uh that's why uh burr was asked to leave the band but also i don't know if you knew this or not but burr also played in samson for a while no, I actually didn't know that. Yeah, that's what I'm. Um, that, it's like there's this thing between all these bands, like Samson Burr was in that. Um, you know uh, that he was asked to leave the band, and uh, he also played in Trust for a while. Uh, he was in a band with Paul Diano called Gog Magog. And uh, that, never heard of that either. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it not not it, it's a it was short lived, and. Um, I, you know, I, I prefer uh, Battle Zone for Paul Diano. Yes, you know that I mean? I'm familiar with. Yeah, yeah. That I gotta say, uh, I, I don't know if you've ever got into any of the Samson stuff. I have uh, the only album I have is the Shock Tactics album. Um, I like it. I like it quite a lot, man. Uh, this, this track on their Bloodlust. It's like a slower song. It's yeah. pretty awesome. And the opening track, Riding with the Angel. I, I like the Samson stuff for sure. I mean, it's not amazing, you know, but it's it's solid. No, I think Samson, I mean, I, I got into Samson, like, back when I started 
appreciating Bruce Dickinson and Iron Maiden. And I, I went back and I tried to find some of the Samson records and, you know, and, and I, yeah, I, I think they're definitely a solid band. But uh, later yeah. on in Burr's career, he also played in, the, I don't know if you're familiar with the band Alcatraz. Yeah. yeah that, that's like Graham Bonnet's uh, project and Graham Bonnet uh, was a former singer for uh, Rainbow and uh, the Michael Shanker group, which is another favorite right. of mine too. And, um, yeah, yeah. You know, then he went on to uh, play with D. Snyder uh, in a, a you know a post uh, Twisted Sister band called Desperado. I remember that band. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Burr, Burr, like it's not like he disappeared. You know what I mean? He like uh, you know he he was was active doing his thing. You know, and then right. And uh, also, he co-wrote some of the material on Number of the Beast too. Uh, the song Gangland, and uh, a track called Total Eclipse, which was uh, the B-side to the Run to the, Run to the Hills single that we were talking about earlier. Right, yeah, and it's funny, like, yeah, you, it's funny those two songs, because, like, I guess, you know, Harris, Steve Harris, like, after the fact, was, like, wishes they put Total Eclipse on the album and Gangland on the B-side of the run to the hills single. I mean, I think they're both strong tracks. Yeah. I really don't think it matters, but <laughs> you know, I guess that it's funny that he was involved in the writing of those two songs. And like, there, there's like this controversy with those two songs, you know? Um, but you, you know how it is being in a band where it's like, you know, like there's songs that you personally probably don't like that you've written and other people think are good. You know, it's like, you know, yeah, like all of them. Nah, man, I don't see that. You know, it's like, but, uh, <laughs> You know, Definitely like there, though, there's man. certain yeah, things, you know, and, and maybe people, the fans agree or they don't agree, you know, whatever. Right. But uh, right. Yeah, let's let's just run down the tracks here on the record. Um, now, I got a, something interesting to say about this. So I'm just going to go with the, uh, you know, the standard classic uh, release. You know, it's um, so we got Side A, Invaders, Children of the Damned, The Prisoner, 22 Acacia Avenue which is actually mm -hmm. uh, co-written with uh, Adrian Smith. Side 2, Number of the Beast, Run to the Hills, Gangland, you know, the Smith song that we were talking about. I mean, I'm sorry, um, the uh, Clyde Burr co-written song. Right. And uh, Hallowed Be Thy Name. Now, what's funny uh, is when, <laughs> for some... All right, let me ask you a question, in your opinion. Do you think Side 2 is stronger than Side 1? Uh, it's, that's an interesting question because, uh, when I pulled my vinyl out to listen to it the other day, I hadn't listened to this record in a while, you know, from front to back. Um, and I actually put on side two by accident first. Um, and I, you know, I was too lazy to get up and change it, you know? Um, I, well, yeah, I do because I think number of the beast is my favorite track on the record. And probably the second most popular song on the record to run to the hills, which is the track after number the beast on side two. So that was their, the band's biggest hit, you know, like biggest commercial success and number of the beast that that's in every set list still from yeah. them. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. And how will be them? How will be that name is probably my favorite track on the record. So I, yeah, I do think side two is stronger. How about you? 100%. And so much so that when I was like looking at, um, 
you know, putting together these notes. I was like, hold on a second, man. Like, did they pull the old switcheroo? Because then I went on, I went on uh, Apple Music and I'm like, they have Invaders as the opening track. And I'm like, in my mind, I think because I always listen to Side 2 first because I like right. it better. That neurological pathway had been, like, defined that Side 2 is Side 1, you know? And uh, yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. like, what are you talking about? This is a side two, um, you know? And uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm like, yes, side two is definitely a st- stronger. And I guess that's, I bring that up because, you know, Steve Harris had his opinions about Total Eclipse being on the record and in place of gang, right. gangland. And I just think it's funny that, like, I, I, I'm a, you know, to me, side two should have been side one as a fan, you know? Yeah, I kind of agree. I mean, by the time you get to Gangland, Number of the Beasts and Run to the Hills, I mean, there's, you know, I mean, you're not following those two songs anyway. Really? You know, I mean, I don't know. I just think both those songs are good, so it doesn't really matter. I think it's just, you know, nitpicking on on his part. You know, let me ask you a question, actually. We talked about the track listing here. The song 22, Acacia Avenue. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you think that could come out today? And like fly in today's society lyrically, because uh, <laughs> someone will like uh, me too. The, the protagonist in the song, you mean? <laughs> yeah, I mean the lyrics are pretty fucking hardcore, man. When you you know, I mean you know, Bruce's voice sometimes you kind of just don't even you know. It's like more of a melody and shit. But like when you read the lyrics, man, they're pretty they're pretty brutal. You know, there there's a couple of different schools of thought I have with that one because um, you know, it's funny that. That song was written by uh, Adrian Smith when he was in right. a band called Urchin, like an earlier band. Yes. And yep. the Charlotte the Harlot, the earlier this is like a continuation of that song. Exactly. And and uh, it may or may not be um, you know, a, like a story with like a factual basis according to these guys. You know, they they were evasive as to uh, whether or not a young uh, Adrian Smith had sought the carnal favors of a uh, young lady who may or may not be named uh, Charlotte, you know? Right. So, <laughs> I mean, all right, so whether or not that song would be controversial today, it's like, you know, yeah, there's probably a faction of people out there who would be like, oh, this, you know, this fucking toxic masculinity, guy like, uh, you know, victimizing women and stuff like that. But on the other hand, there's like the, um, you know, sexual freedom angle of, hey, if someone liked getting beat up, you know, or whatever, or smacked around or choked or something, then who are we to like, uh, you know, like say that, say that that's like a negative thing. But then I guess, I guess if like a female had written that song about getting smacked around and choked and everything, that's probably would fly a little bit more. Than like a twenty-four-year-old right. British guy, like in a heavy metal band. <laughs> well, I ask you that because there was some controversy surrounding this record, of course, in the U.S. Well, that was yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I imagine that was all about the satanic shit. But this song, particularly, there was a controversy around it. No, 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 no. I think in general, though, like they allude to the lyrics and the art. I think more so with the cover art and the number of the beast thing. Because, you know, the U.S., as you know, Mike, well, the U.S. always more fucking uptight about everything. Yeah, absolutely. Man. Totally. <laughs> in, in general. So there definitely was some controversy, you know, with that, with, 
lyrics, I mean, of that song to you, but, you know, Number of the Beast more so. Uh, it's interesting, though, because Run to the Hills is like a totally different lyric approach. It's almost like uh, their first stab at, like, a political song, you know? Um, Absolutely. And somewhere along the way, there was a quote, I forgot where the quote was from, I didn't write it down, but uh, they said they should have titled the album Whores, Satan, and Indians. <laughs> That's awesome, man. I like that title. <laughs> yeah, maybe we can use that. Yeah. Satanic whores. <laughs> but yeah, you know, like everything in the in the US and it's like everything's controversial where like, you know, not so much the rest of the world or a lot of parts of the world anyway. But uh yeah, you know, I don't know. Now you, when you hear a song like that now, it fly today, like on a big level, you know, because everyone's got a problem with everything. Well, it's, it's, it's cool that you bring that up, too, because, um, you know, in that documentary, they, they, have, they talk about the PMRC and, you know, Tipper Gore. Not specifically that, but they, they, they capture that vibe of conservative Christianity and conservative Christians burning records, right? And then they were talking about how, like, you know, all the, the, the satanic fumes from the records are going to infect us, so we're going to smash them with hammers now, right? So, you know, that it's, it's so completely inverted now though. You know what I mean? It's like the super left types are the ones who are trying to censor shit. You know what I mean? And like, yes, you know, it's weird. It's like, you know, like, uh, Antifa, like shutting down Marduk shows and stuff like that. And Taka, like, you know, and, and it's the same thing as fundamentalist Christians showing up at, at an Iron Maiden show back in 1983, you know? Kind of crazy. Yeah. You know? <laughs> you know what happened when they were burning those records, uh, the number of the Beast records, and uh, Sabbath records, whatever else they were burning, uh, in this satanic bonfire <laughs> of vinyl, the, the smoke and the fumes, what happened was that it created uh, guys like Glenn Benton. Hell yeah. You know, yeah man. So, you know, these fucking weirdo Christian whatever weirdos can uh, yeah they can thank themselves for bands like DSI more than angels. So, yeah. One one of the funny things because you know we mentioned that uh, you know the heavy U- U.S. touring that they were doing some of the bills some of the tours they did were, were pretty pretty funny. Uh, oh God yeah. yeah like they did uh, <laughs> a foreigner lover boy and the nuge. <laughs> I do. That doesn't even make any sense to me. Like, uh, uh, I guess. All right, Foreigner or Ted Nugent tour in in fucking the early eighties or mid eighties. That makes sense to me. Lover Boy, <laughs> and then add Maiden to that. Like, it doesn't even fucking make any sense at all. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like they were the opening act on that tour, I believe. Too, yeah, yeah, right? yeah, definitely. Yep. Yeah. Fucking. And, what about a quick exit for me? And they they didn't even have a. Well, I mean. Um, didn't even but they were they weren't they were traveling in like station wagons too apparently on that tour <laughs> not even a van i'm like can you fucking guys get a van that's got to be way more comfortable than us driving around a couple of station wagons they're playing these arenas and they're fucking pulling in a couple of station wagons you know yeah like, like... <laughs> I seen, I seen today as today, uh, you, you know, years ago, like the late '90s touring, and uh, I think it was for the self-titled record. And they had a a, <laughs> a Lincoln Continental pulling a U-Haul trailer. It's fucking awesome. That's that's pretty. That's kind of cool, actually. But you know, I mean, I imagine <laughs> like 
the gas mileage, you know, you got that big V8 engine, you know, like, I don't know, man. <laughs> oh, man, what a sight. But yeah, yeah, I mean, that's kind of good. Dude, Loverboy, Foreigner, Ted Nugent, and Iron Man. That's just fucking, I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> it's crazy. One, one of the, uh, you know, another pivotal point about this record is that this was their first album that all of the material was freshly written for. You know, like uh, the first two records that, that was comprised of songs that they'd been performing, you know, as a band for years. You know, I mean, there's that documentary you talked about, the early years, which I have that too. And yeah. The thing that a lot of people don't even know about is how many fucking singers this band had before they even had Deano in it. You know, how many lineups and different people. Oh, yeah. A lot of lineups before the first album was recorded, man. There was like tons of lineup changes. So so the stuff that came out on their first record in Killers, they they could have conceptually been playing that stuff in some form or another for like maybe six, seven years. You know what I mean? And like, you know, then then they made this record. And then... You know, hey, we got all these songs. You know, these are this one. These will go on this record. These will go on there. Maybe we wrote a couple things. But by the time they got to Number of the Beast, they were out of material. And um, so that's when, that's why, like, I guess Adrian Smith and Clive Burr, for the first time, have co-writing credits on the Maiden material because they actually were, were you know, they were, they were poor for material. You know, they needed shit. So... Yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting because uh, <clears throat> one of the things I was watching too, Adrian Smith is saying that him and Bruce Dickinson developed like a great kind of a songwriting team thing. You know, it wasn't just all Steve Harris anymore, or you know, the majority of the time it was Steve Harris doing the writing. But those two guys kind of bonded and went on to write like a lot of songs together. The other thing too is Dickinson was uh, you know involved heavily in the creation of this record, but. He was still he still had some contractual issues with uh, Samson, so he wasn't legally able to get writing credits on this record. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, but he's able to be credited as the vocalist, just yeah. not writing credits. Some like, you know, fucked up like uh, publishing shit, probably. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Uh, I, like, I like that trend, like back in those days, where like the the main guy. Would it would that would be the name of the band? You know, like Paul Samson, Samson, right? right? Adrian Vandenberg, Vandenberg, you know, Van Halen. <laughs> you know, yeah, it, it doesn't work for everybody though, man. Like you got to have a cool last name. Yeah, because like I remember, you know, a quiet, quiet riot. Obviously, is um, yeah, that's where we got, you know, the great Randy Rhodes from, and right. but Kevin Dubrow, the singer, was apparently the the kind of uh centerpiece of that band right. and uh when that quiet the metal health record came out you know like his concept was like we were just going to call the band dubro i'm like that's a fucking mistake but buddy <laughs> you know what i mean that name sucks your, your last name sucks so you need a different name maybe you should have changed his last name to quiet riot uh, but you know, it, it actually—I mean, obviously—it makes much more sense to go with Quiet Riot just because of the, you know, the name recognition. Ozzy, Randy Rhodes, like, oh yeah, Quiet Riot was the band Ozzy pulled all of his like band members from, basically. You know. Yeah, that is that is true. A side note: Are, are you a are you a fan of any of the Quiet Riot stuff? Um, I mean, 
I have to say yes, only because I, I listened to the shit out of that record when I was a kid. You yeah. Know? And, yeah. Uh, and I, I'm a, 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 a lifetime Rudy Sarzo fan. Um, you know, he's just like, just like a fucking, I, I, Rudy Sarzo is like a bass player's bass player. Like he's like a longshoreman or something like that when it comes to bass playing. <laughs> You know what I'm trying right. to say? Like he's like, yeah, man. If, yeah. if there's like a yeah. teamster equivalent of a bass player, it's it's uh, Rudy Sarzo. You need a ba- you need a solid bass player to tour. Hey, call Rudy. He's probably the first motherfucker they call because he's always available, yeah. always like ready to rock. And that's what I love about that guy. He's played in mad bands. He was in Ozzy's touring lineup only. Like he didn't right. record any of this shit. They had some British guy like record all the bass lines. Bob so, Daisley, right? Yeah, Bob. Yeah, that's, I couldn't remember his name, but uh, yeah, that's that's um, primarily why I, I still like Quiet Riot because I, I associate that band with Rudy Sarzo and like I just think that guy is like a cool, you know, dude. You know? Yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah, man. yeah. yeah. Uh, skip genres, you know, a little uh, Mike Watt, bass player for the Minutemen, and you know, great solo career, Firehose. Firehouse. Firehouse. Firehose, not firehouse. Yeah, firehouse, a different uh, thing completely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally different. Uh, you know, he he would say about Rudy Sarzo, he works the base. You know. Oh really? <laughs> Mike, Mike Watt has. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a that's a Mike Watt ism. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Right. He has his whole language he speaks, but that's that's a good uh, example. You know, that's fitting for Rudy Sarzo. He's uh, he works base. Yeah, yeah. He's like puts you know puts his fucking hard hat on. Like shows up with his lunch pail and he does his thing, man. I love that's what I love that's about it, him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, I got off topic there. No, nah, no, nah, it's all good, man. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny. Like in, in uh, very much of the era, you know, there's a lot of um, you know legends and mythology behind the um, making of records like this. And, uh, you know, there was like this uh, story that, you know, there was like a curse and all these things and how there was like equipment malfunctions and stuff like that. But there is one curious thing that happened. Okay. Martin Birch, during the session, had a car accident with a, with a, 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 a car filled with nuns. Okay. He brought his car to the mechanic. And when he got it back, the cost of repairs was 66.6 pounds. There you go. There you go. You know, who knows if that's true or not, but it's fun to think about. That gives some uh, some credence to the Christian weirdos. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, on the touring, this, and I, I, I actually, when I discovered this, I got quite a kick out of it, is... Uh, you know, Number of the Beast, they had that big red devil guy on the on the album cover. So live, you know, Maiden had oh, Maiden has always been known for their uh, production, like having great stage sets, Eddie, you know. Yeah. On this tour, they had a guy in a devil suit jump out on stage. And the guy in the devil suit was none other none other than Nico McBrain from Trust. It's <laughs> funny. Who would later <laughs> Shortly after that tour, replace Clive Burr as drummer for the band. Now, I've heard the same thing, but like I wasn't clear why was he there? Like, was 
was he in a band that was opening on the tour or was he like hired to do that? I, it wasn't explicitly stated, but my impression uh, was that he was friends with the Iron Maiden guys. Cause you know, once again, uh, McBrain is, is uh, British. Okay. And trust is located in France. They were like based to French band, but right. I remember in that documentary when, uh, you know, success started happening for Iron Maiden. Nico McBrain was like, he's like, oh yeah, those are my mates, you know, happy, you know, happy for them, you know, and the French guys are like, oh, you know, is he, I'll be down, you know, of course, like they, they didn't seek anything good out of it because that's kind of like how French people roll, you know. <laughs> but, uh, so my, my impression was that McBrain was friends with those guys. Um, I mean, it's conceivable that Trust and Iron Maiden had played shows together and, you know, supported each other on different, you know, legs of European tours and things like that. And um, I, I don't know if uh, McBrain lived in France or not. I know that it doesn't take long to get there. I mean, you just jump on a ferry, right? To, you know, from Dover to Calais, and you're there in like an hour. You know. Uh, yeah, I just thought I thought that was uh, interesting. Also, you know, I, I'm no longer you know playing with you in, uh, in Tombs anymore. It's been a while now, but so you know, throw it out there. I would be available, you know, if you guys, if, if, yeah, if you can ever tour again, um, I would be available to do that. So well, we were thinking about on the next tour, having a guy in a devil suit. So yeah, I think that's, it's timely that you bring that up. Yeah. All right. Yeah, keep in, uh, we'll talk, we'll talk later. And also I want to make a recommendation that, uh, your next band, you should just call it Larson. <laughs> I think that name's been taken already. Or the, the R. Larson Band or something like that. Yeah, I think uh, I'm not so sure I've earned uh, the following <laughs> with any of my music to be able to pull that one off. But, yeah, I'll sleep on it. Right, but Kevin Dubrow, I mean, honestly, outside of Los Angeles, like who the hell knew about Quiet Riot except for some dudes in Japan because they were had a couple of <laughs> records that only were released in Japan. You know, and he thought he could call the band Dubrow. So, yeah. was Mental Health their first U.S. release? Now, I'm sure I'm wrong. So, uh, you know, anyone out there who knows the right answer, feel free to let us know. But I think I'm I'm uh, I have a high level of confidence that Mental Health was their first U.S. release, and it, you know, came out on a major label. So, yeah, yeah, that was such a huge album too when it came out. But they did have at least two records that came out in Japan, though, that I, I'm aware of. I've never heard those. Interesting. I mean, you know, the, those are the ones with Randy Rhodes on them, and their the guitar work is, right. is pretty sick. But, you know, it's like, this is something else I want to bring up, too, just briefly, is like, um, when, you know, like, you listen to, like, uh, a great guitar player in a band, and maybe the band has, like, so-so writing. You know, the, the material is like kind of whatever. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I guess, yeah, Samson's cool. I like that band. They're good. You know, Angel Witch, a couple good songs, you know. But you, when you put Maiden in the context of all those other bands, or, or say like, let's pick a, a couple of those New Wave of British heavy metal bands. Like Motorhead gets put in that realm too. I don't really understand that one so much, but 
Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's the time uh, time frame probably and the proximity and you know what I mean. Like they were British, they were you know in their late, early eighties, late seventies, you know, realm. Sonically, like Sa- style, Saxon. style, Saxon, yeah, um, Saxon for sure, yeah. Um, the ones that were able to like really break out were so much better than the other bands. You know what I'm trying to say? True. And it's yeah, like, yeah, you totally. really see, like, you know, like, I'm sure there, I bet there's people out there who are probably like, oh, I like Bruce Dickinson better and Samson. I'm like, well, you're, you're kind of fucked up if you think that, you know, it's like, <laughs> like, that, those are cool records, but they're not nearly as good as what Maiden went on to do. You know what I mean? And, and, and Maiden's, you know, his, their, his, their employment of Bruce Dickinson as a vocalist goes hand in hand. Cause I, you know, as time now, yeah, you know, like twenty something years later, I'm like, yeah, I don't really can't think of anyone else except for maybe like Ronnie James Dio or Rob Halford that could actually do what Bruce Dickinson needed to do in Iron Maiden, you know? Yeah, man. I, you know, obviously as a vocalist, but like you know, just everything else too, man. He just lifted the band. I mean, you know, I mean, who else is? He's also an airline pilot. Who else is going to fly the band around on tour? You know? And he's a fencing uh, specialist too, or whatever. Yeah. yeah, I like to not think about that so much. But. <laughs> I think that's cool, man. I don't know. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't. Sure, I guess it is. Um, the the back cover of Number of the Beast. Do you, are you familiar with that picture? Like off the top of your head, or are you looking at it? No, no, at no, it? I'm not. You want me to look at it? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you have it handy. Or I don't not, have it but. handy, but go ahead. What are you going to say about it? They're just uh, the band picture on the back is, uh, is the, obviously the cover art's awesome. I'm a big fan of Derek Riggs and all the cover art he's done for them. The back cover is like it's cool, but it's it's just funny. Like Bruce Dickinson, everyone else is like, just like kind of doing their thing. Um, Bruce Dickinson's holding in his hand, like in his hand. I, I don't know what the fuck it's supposed to be. It, it's like a tube with flames coming out of it, but it looks like like a piece of plumbing. Or like a fucking poster tube. <laughs> it's, it's like it's, I don't know what the fuck it is. It's just it's funny. You know, there's like fire coming out of the ground to tie it to the front cover and stuff. Um, but I don't know. You get a chance to look at it. It's pretty. I look. I just kind of noticed it. Like really stared hard at it this morning. I'm like, what the fuck is he in his hand? You know, uh, it's like a piece of like two inch pipe or something. <laughs> maybe uh, maybe he was a plumber before he you know became a <laughs> rock and roll vocalist. I don't know. Well, we can add that to his list of accomplishments, you know, fencing uh, expert, airline pilot, vocalist, and plumber. Yeah, see? Yeah. You know? <laughs> I wish any, I had um, uh, one of those skills. <laughs> fencing. Do you have any favorite tracks on this record? Uh, yeah, man. My, my top three are, obviously, the title track, Number of the Beast, is pretty much untouchable. It's fucking great. One of the best, you know, heavy metal songs ever. But I really like "Hollow Be Thy Name," and I really like "22 Acacia Avenue." Those are probably my my go my three go tos from the record. You know what's funny, you? man? Those are the same three songs I would pick. Really? Yeah. Well, that's perfect way to uh, close out our you know time here on this podcast. Yeah, "22 Acacia Avenue." I dug just because it sound it has like such a sketchy like like um, like subject matter. And, right, and I um, I'm like a well done ballad 
you know, is is cool. Like not when it's about like uh, the sweet surrender in the back seat of a car, but when there's like a dark like storyline that's going on, like in Hallow Be Thy Name. You know, that's like you know about a guy waiting to fucking go to the gallows. You know, and that's cool. Like I, you know, I like I'd rather listen yeah. to a, ba- a ballad about some guy's reflections on death than like a dude like fingering some chick with like teased out <laughs> hair. You know what I'm trying to say? I think you just said it, man. Yeah. yeah so. like, I think that's why we like the first couple of records a lot too. Obviously we're, you know, Diano fans vocally, but I think we liked a lot of the, the lyrics on the first two records are just cool. You know, they're yeah. more like punk records. And the good, there's good ballads too. Like, you know, there's, um, there's like cool, like atmospheric, like ballads on those first two records, you know, real dark sounding. I, you know, I just, there's yeah, yeah. too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, you know, it's been been great. Uh, obviously, we've loved our time here. And uh, if you're so inclined, you can check me and Randy out um, over at Everything Went Black podcast on all the channels. Po- you know, Spotify, Apple Podcast, YouTube, all that stuff. And if you like horror movies, you can check out Necromaniacs. All three, oh, both of those shows. Yeah, all three. Both of those shows. Uh, are weekly, are going to be weekly. So um, probably kicking off EWB weekly in uh, in March, and Necro is weekly right now. So thanks a lot. It's been fun. Make sure you check out Fred and Mike next week, and uh, peace. That's it for this week's episode of Metal Matters, an official Gimme Metal podcast. Tune in next week and see what we have in store for you. This show is available on all streaming platforms, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, etc. Also, be sure to check out Gimme Metal, streaming on the web, iOS, or Android. For one of the best metal communities, exclusive merch, interviews, and so much more. I'll catch you guys next week. Take care.